Rich and Mike Show, Flagler County's hometown sports show. Here are your hosts, Rich Carroll and Mike Leishio. Yes, it's another episode of the Rich and Mike Sports Show. Good Saturday morning, Flagler County. And a good Saturday morning to you, Mike Leishio. Hello, Flagler County. It was a tough night in Football County last night, Rich, wasn't it? My, oh, my. Maybe the toughest night of the season so far. Week one was a bit rough up in Swanee. Uh, But, you know, uh, what did did Matanzas do week one? I forgot. They beat Southlake. They beat um, Groveland Southlake 31 to 8. So not a terrible night. Look, you had a rough night that night with FPC, but Matanzas won the game, you know, and and you you went into this week really feeling good about both of these teams. Uh, obviously, the performance that the Pirates had last week against Atlantic and the uh, amazing play from Daquan Evans, really amazing plays all around. And FPC, they lost last week, but they really competed with uh, University. They lose by a point. They had a two-score lead late in that one. But, hey, they competed. They looked good on offense. They were able to, to look good on defense, at least for most of the game. So coming into this week, into district play, you're thinking, man, you know, both teams here in, as Mike would say, football county are really getting it done. We're looking at playoff positioning, and uh, you know, you're feeling like uh, the the Bulldogs definitely have a shot here against Pontevedra. Heck, they beat them last year. The Pirates, they'll probably lose against uh, St. Augustine. St. Augustine, one of the top schools in the in the state, but maybe they'll hang around for a little bit because they have looked so good. But man, <laughs> it was complete disaster all around when you look up at the scoreboard because uh, FPC, they couldn't score a touchdown. And uh, Matanzas, I think you knew pretty early on that they weren't going to be in that one. No, they actually led that game, believe it or not. And then, you know, once St. Augustine got rolling, that was all she wrote. It was FPC had a tough loss tonight and I said it, all week, I've said it pretty much all season that both games tonight in football county, whoever won the game tonight was probably going to win the district or almost most certainly going to win the district. Obviously, we thought FPC had more of a chance against than Matanzas, and that's not a knock against Matanzas, I can tell you. And you know, we'll have my son Michael the third, who is a St. Augustine High School student and was at the game, he'll talk about that Matanzas game, but. This is the best St. Augustine team they've probably had in about 15 years. They've had some pretty good teams. And so, you know, if Matanzas could have hung around for a little bit, I think that would have been a good result. Maybe not to Pirate Nation, but, you know, from somebody on the outside looking in, I think that would have been a good result. You know, but FPC Pontevedra, that was a game I thought the Bulldogs had a real chance to win. And if they did, they would have put themselves in the driver's seat come for the drive to November. Yeah, and, and early on, we get the, the game was the WNZF Game of the Week. We were there last night. It aired live right here on WNZF 94.9 FM. You could check out the replay on the Flagler Radio app, and you could watch the game on the Flagler Radio YouTube channel. So we were at South Campanella yesterday, and pretty early on, you find out that uh, Marcus Mitchell, who had an incredible game uh, at the Potato Bowl, of course, and, and played well, a week ago was not going to play in this one. And, and you thought that might be an issue. And, and you mentioned LaPeppa and, and the other injuries. Uh, you knew the FPC was wounded going into the game. But even with that, I did not expect the final score to be 31 nothing, And, you know, the, the Bulldogs really throughout the night unable to generate any offense 
so and and I think even the crowd was taken out of it early uh, because they were pretty shocked by what they were watching. Everybody was pumped up when the game started, uh, but the FBC, they were, especially early on, down fourteen nothing before you could blink, and a long touchdown pass after that, twenty one nothing. You're just not feeling good about the Bulldogs, but they made some adjustments after that first quarter. It really was all about that running game from Burke and uh, who was the running back there for um, uh, that was Ryan Case. Case, you know, they were the the Bulldogs had no answer for those guys in the first quarter. But I think again, you got to give the coaching staff credit because they made adjustments and Burke and and, and Case they didn't really kill them as much going forward from the second quarter on. I think the defense played well and the offense showed the ability to move the ball at times. They moved the ball at the end of the first half. They turned the ball over on downs. They they weren't able to score. Then in the second half, they were able to move the football again, unable to score. So I think adjustments were made. You saw the Bulldogs competing. It just it just wasn't meant to be. It wasn't their night and and we see this in sports sometimes. Sometimes uh, you know What's the old saying? You're never as as bad in your worst game, and you're never as good in your best game. The, the team is somewhere in between. And I know for a fact the Bulldogs are not worse than, than the Sharks by 31 points. That's just not the case. It was just one of those nights, man. Absolutely. And Ethan LaPepa was out at defensive end. Travell Adams was out at nose tackle. And- that is the strength of Ponte They have a big physical line. They have three offensive linemen who have Division One offers, including their center, who's committed to Michigan. So losing a guy like Travell Adams in the middle is a huge loss to FPC. And then to complicate things on the offensive side of the ball, not only was Marcus Mitchell out, but Roman Caliendo, who's normally a tight end, had to move over and play defensive end. To your point about Case and Burke, Burke had a 51-yard run, and then Case had a 33-yard run early. From that point on in the game, they combined for a total of 20 yards. Mm. So that 51-yard run was with four minutes left in the first quarter, and then the 33-yard run by Case was in the second quarter. And like I said, with about four minutes left in the second quarter. So for about the last 20, the last 30 minutes of the game, they held them to just 25 yards rushing. They did a really good job adjusting to it. You saw in the third quarter when Caliendo came in the game on offense, how his presence helped that offense move the ball. Ajayde was okay tonight. You know, they, the offense maybe could have done a little better job opening holes, but it just felt like as soon as those holes were open on the plays that they were open, they closed up just as quickly. Ponavidra had a swarming defense. Noah Doolin, who's one of the key blocking tight ends for FPC, was out as well. They were just a beat-up team. And, you know, I to your point, Ponavitra probably wins that game tonight. They executed well. They played well. They probably win that game regardless of who played. But I'd like to think it was a 31-24, 31-27 type game that, uh, that FPC loses if they're healthy. And maybe if they're healthy, you know, Colby Cronk had a sack tonight. He had another one called back. You know, if he had help, the help of Adams and LaPepa, he's probably more uh, more of an impact in the game. But when they have three Division One linemen and all they have to do is try and stop 34, it, you know, it makes the defense a little better uh, unpredictable. I thought the secondary played well. They had some chances, and they, you know, I thought they played real. Even the couple of the big passes Ponte completed was great coverage on those. The secondary played well. 
The linebackers played well tonight. You know, they were just a step behind getting the ball. And again, that's probably because of the push that the defensive line wasn't able to get because it's mostly ninth and 10th graders on the defensive line tonight. They're a very young team and they're even younger as there, as Daniel fish talked about after the game. And we'll hear from him shortly. They're a young team. And then when guys go out, they're even younger. Yeah. And, and I do want to say that I was impressed by Benjamin Burke. The kid looked good. He showed you that he can do everything you want your quarterback to do, especially at this level. You need him to run with the football, make plays with his legs. He'll do that. Man, can he do that. The pocket presence was great. If he wants to run to the outside, he was getting to the outside. If the, if the pocket was collapsing around him, he stepped up and ran right up the middle and get a big, a big run that way. Then he was hitting guys all over the field. He hit Landon Okla. And on that play where he hit the big, uh, what was that? It was a 51-yard pass to, uh, I forget the kid's name, um, uh, with oh, that was the case. It was it was the case. It was that screen out of the backfield. It's a case. No, no, not the screen. Not the screen. There, there was a play where he kind of fumbled the snap. He picked it up, and it was a deep pass over the middle uh, that that he threw perfectly. I forget the kid on the reception, but anyway, it, it, it what really impressed me there. It was a. Oh, gr- that was Owen. That was Owen for forty-one. Right, yards. right. Owen, for, exactly. So it it the snap was a ground ball that went between his legs. He calmly turned around, picked it up, then had the wherewithal to not panic, look down the field, and threw that perfect dime for a touchdown. And that's when you knew that the game was over because it was 14 nothing. and if you remember, before that happened, uh, they turned the ball over on a fumbled snap. And if there was anything that Ponavidra had difficulties with, and, and you give them a pass on that because the field conditions were pretty rough. It was raining all week here in Flagler County, and it, w- it was like a mud bowl type of game. And, you know, it, I was just so impressed uh, after they turned the ball over, FPC unable to score, and then you get another bad snap, and off that bad snap, he's able to keep his calm, stand in the pocket, and deliver a perfect 41-yard touchdown pass. Uh, I was just extremely uh, impressed by Burke. I, th- I think he's a really good quarterback and, and with him at the helm and, and uh, you know, uh, impressive receivers. I, I thought, I thought Cole Madsen looked good out there. Not that he did a lot, but uh, he looked good out there as a receiver, a decoy Landon Oakla looked good out there. Uh, so they have some weapons. They run the football. Well, they got a good quarterback. They have a good defense. This is a good football team with the Pontevedra Sharks. I don't think they're better than FPC, as I said, 31 to nothing. But, man, there was a lot of talent on that field, and they just got the better of them tonight, uh, last night. So Burke last night, he was only 5 for five for 9 in the game for 113 yards, but he had those two passes, the one to Case and the one to Owen for 94 yards. He ran the ball six times on the opening drive and then threw a touchdown pass that and that one was a five-yard touchdown pass to that big target, Oakla, who has some Division One offers of his own. And on those runs, they weren't all design runs. Those were plays where Colby Cronk got in deep, and you know Zayden Green was chasing him down, and he was somehow able to escape the pocket and make positive yards. So it wasn't just that he was making plays with his feet on design runs, which he did that too, but when the play broke down. He had the presence of mind. He made he made the right decisions. He didn't try to force a ball. He didn't take a bad sack. He found a way to get positive yards and keep it from being second and 15. Instead of making it second and 15, second and 16, make it seven, second and seven, second and six, 
so he was he was instrumental. You know, you can see that Steve Price has been trying to rebuild Ponavidra, and it seems like Ponavidra is back to being the Ponavidra of old. A Ponavidra team that has not won a playoff game since 2016. Um, and I actually called the playoff game that started that losing streak, so maybe Ponavidra wants to keep me as far away from them as possible. But <laughs> they're a the complete team. Yeah, you know, Mike, and just to jump in real quick, uh, just to, uh, on your point, uh, you look at what they've done now. That's four straight wins in their last three wins against Middleburg, 35 nothing, against Menendez, 32-12, to and against FPC, 31 nothing. That's three straight blowout victories and two shutouts. That's impressive. And the two games before that was a one-point win and a very talented Florida high team on a road trip to Tallahassee. You know, we saw what happened with FPC going to Swanee. It's a, and that's a longer trip to go to Florida high. But it's you saw it in week one. It's a tough trip to make a two-and-a-half, three-hour trip and go against a playoff-caliber team. And they were able to escape with a win. And they only lost by three to a Bartram Trail team that returned a lot of people that, and we saw what that Bartram trail team was capable of last year. Nobody bet, saw more of that than we did. That's right. A hundred percent. So Ponavidra looking good. And as I mentioned, there were times during the game where uh, you hit Caliendo a couple of times in the flat. He had a couple of big runs and he had a big game as well. And I don't We'll bring it up here. We, we teased it during the game last night, who was the player of the game for the FPC Bulldogs in a game that you lose 31 nothing. It's hard to pick a player of the game, but I thought uh, you mentioned Caliendo stepping up and playing some defense, couple of big uh, receptions and uh, 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 big runs after the catch. To me, if I were to look at it, uh, uh, to me looking at it, I think that um, he was definitely the player of the game, in my opinion. Do you agree with that? I completely agree with that because we saw in the third quarter when he got over to the offensive side of the ball, the offense came to life. He provided a spark there. And he played the whole game at defensive end, the position that's not his natural position. But he stepped up. He, you know, his coach asked him, this, uh, you know, we don't know how the conversation went. But we know what we know is that Caliendo, Roman Caliendo, was lined up at defensive end where he normally isn't. And so he stepped up for his team and, you know, and still found a way to provide. I mean, that was the drive that they looked the most put together on offense was the drive he played. I don't think there's any question about him being a team, just his value to the team last night, again, even in a loss that he showed value to his team and, you know, provided life. I mean, he had 23 yards receiving, and Jordan Gales, kind of an unsung hero, had 27, had a couple catches on that drive too. It was the one drive where they really put it together. I mean, Kaden Gonzalez didn't have a terrible game. He was 8 for 13. He did throw that one pick, but most of his – were short throws. He had two throws that didn't cross the line of scrimmage and had all, all but one of his throws was 10 yards or less. So Except for that throw to was, Gales and, and on the sideline, right? That's the, the amazing catch he made on the sideline. Remember that? Kind of like the yeah, deep. And, and Caliendo's catches were both for double-digit yards, but they were both catches that Caliendo caught the ball in the backfield right. and then you know turned upfield and made plays. So they weren't – they took a couple of shots down the field, but they really didn't test Ponavidra. And I think that's because Ponavidra came in with a very good pass rush. The Greco brothers, the, the Babin brothers, who are the son of former Eagle and Jaguar, Jason Babin. I think they were really concerned about that Ponavidra pass rush and didn't want to force the issue against them. And looking back on it, maybe they should have a little more 
but it was a tough spot because they were never really able to establish the run game. And that's when this FPC passing game works best is when it's working off of the running game. And that's the point, 100%. Because when you see Marcus Mitchell going out there, running for 288 yards and dominating with the ground game, all of a sudden uh, that passing game looks pretty good. And and you got Gonzalez throwing it all over the, via, the field to Zizek and Neal and Cody Newton. And, but when that, and you got to give Ponavidra credit uh, early on. The Bulldogs just could not run the football. It wasn't working, and that made it very difficult to pass the ball, and uh, you know they couldn't generate any offense. And meanwhile, uh, the Sharks were out there scoring touchdowns. So it was a really, really tough night for the Bulldogs, but um, we're hoping they bounce back next week against Melbourne. And I'm sure uh, the coach, he, he was probably wasn't thrilled, but I'm sure he's – He's still confident in his team and believes that uh, there are special teams, com- uh, special things coming this year. Yeah, I got to ca- catch up with Dan Fish after the game. You know, real quick to talk about Kaden Gonzalez, 8 for 13, 61 yards. He threw an interception late. But again, today, I thought he did a pretty good job of taking care of the football. You know, took a couple of sacks early that really hurt FPC. But I think we're still seeing the maturation process there. He didn't have the disaster play. He had the interception, but at that point, the game was pretty much out of reach. He didn't have the disaster play, and I think that's something that, you know, we've seen him come along. And, yeah, we got O'Galley coming up on Friday for FPC, and, you know, Dan Fish, I'm sure he got home tonight. He probably is going to watch the film, and then he's going to probably move forward towards that O'Galley game as quickly as possible. But I got to talk to him after the game. Coach, you had some injuries on both sides of the ball. Kind of had a triage tonight. Put a lot of people in different places than they've been playing as of late. Um, talk about how that impacted the game. You know, it's it, it's tough for sure. We're missing a lot of playmakers um, on both sides of the ball, but that's that's not an excuse for what happened. You know, we have faith in the guys that uh, were behind them, and you know, I think our youth showed tonight, especially having some guys injured who are also young. But you know, the guys behind them just. You know, they, they made some mistakes tonight, but, you know, we're not going to hang our head. We're not going to shy away from anything. We're just going to bounce back next week and, and have a great week of practice, prepare the guys who are, who are coming in for those injured guys and, you know, get, give another run at it next week against another really good football team. So, you know, I, I told the guys at the end of the game, we're not done. Um, you know, we're going to take accountability. We, we lost on every phase tonight. You know, we, we didn't do things that we typically do. We're usually a really physical football team. We, we didn't show that tonight. Our focus wasn't there. Our energy wasn't there. And, you know, when you let a good team like that come out and, and pounce on you in the first quarter, it's hard to bounce back. You know, they kind of controlled the mo- momentum early on, and they never let it up. So as a young team, you really got to come out locked in, focused, and, and ready to go. If you don't, then, you know, you'll see some of the things that happened tonight. But, um, you know, I'm still proud of our kids. I, I love that they, they kept fighting. They, they didn't shy away when, when people got hurt uh, before the game, during the game. Guys were ready to go and you know, stepped up and went out there and gave it their best shot, man. So, you know, right now we're even younger than we were when we started, and we just got to keep getting those guys ready each week. And, you know, we're not going to make excuses for anything. You know, what we didn't, I'm not going to say we lost the game because we're missing eight starters. We, 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 it's a team sport, you know what I mean? The next guy's got to be ready to step up. And, you know, it didn't happen for us tonight, but I'm still proud of, of the fight that we showed. And the guys who stepped in who weren't expecting to play and weren't expecting to play at certain positions, they ran out there and they gave it their best shot. So we're not going to hang our heads. We're just going to get back to the drawing board and get better. It seemed like your defense, those young guys seemed to grow as the game went on. Ponte jumped on your early 14-0, went right down the field on two drives. 
And after that, they scored some more points, but they really had to earn it the rest of the way. Yeah, you know, I, I was proud of that. You know, we kind of gave them the first two scores, just not being lined up correctly, not doing what we're supposed to do, what we're coached to do. And, uh, you know, we got into the locker room at halftime, and, and the message was to keep fighting, man. If, if we play our game, we're going to be just fine. And um, I thought we came out and showed a lot of a lot of grit in the second half. And it just wasn't our night, you know what I mean? Ponte yeah, um, Vedra's a great football team. They have a great coaching staff. And, they came out with a lot of energy, effort, and focus, man. And, and they were the more physical team tonight, which is which is unlike us. But um, we just got to look and take a look in the mirror, take accountability for it, and, and see where we're struggling and get better. You know what I mean? Injuries are a part of football. So we just got to bounce back and, and have a great week of practice and line it up and be ready to go next week. I think we'll, you'll see a, a much more motivated bunch next Friday. All right, that's Coach Fish and Mike Licio after the game. And, yeah, I right away uh, – with the two two scores to start the game, I was wondering about that because it's true. It, it seemed really easy for for the Sharks to march right up and down the field and, and to hear the coach say they weren't lining up correctly. It's youth, and and you know we weren't ready to go there. That's definitely what it looked like. And to the other point that he made, uh, in the second half they showed grit and and they fought hard. Yes, they did. You know because that could have easily been. A, a running clock game, you know, it could have gotten out of control and it didn't because the Bulldogs showed a ton of heart in that second half and they continued to compete regardless of what was on the scoreboard. And you got to give them credit for that. And I think that's a credit to the coaching. Absolutely. And now they'll focus on O'Galley who won against the four. They're five and one O'Galley, but they're kind of a deceptive five and one. They beat Bishop Moore 12, 10. They beat Springstead 14, six. They beat, Merritt Island last night, 12-11. They're not a team that puts up a lot of points. They've scored 115 points in six games, which on its own is not very good. But if you take away the two games against very weak competition, in the other four games, they've scored a total of 45 points. So this is going to be a knockdown, drag them out game on Friday. And I think this is a game that even an FPC team whose offense has struggled, I think the defense, if they can get a little healthier, if they can get LaPeppa back, if they can get Adams back, and we'll see what happens because another defensive lineman, Stacey Mitchell, got hurt in the game. You know, so we'll see what Matan and Menendo, whoever it is, FPC is going to have a challenge against the O'Galley, but I think it's going to be a low-scoring game that that FPC has a chance to win. Rich, great night for the alma mater. <laughs> Not so much for the Pirates. We got a few minutes left, so I figure we should talk about the Pirates a little bit. Maybe they don't want us to. <laughs> but, um, you just heard the little chuckle. That is my son, Michael the Third, and we're going to bring him in here. Michael the Third is a freshman at St. Augustine High School, and he was our eyes and ears at St. Augustine High for Matanzas tonight. Michael, say hello to Flagler County. How are we doing, Flagler County? I'm Michael Leishio the Third. Um, Tell us about the game tonight, Mike. What happened with the what? What the hell happened? <laughs> we'll go there. You know. Matanzas jumped out early to a lead, and then what happens? You know, take us through it. Well, let's start with the um, the first drive there, because Jordan Mills, spectacular as always. Oh, yeah, um, I love Jordan had, Mills, Mike. I love him. He had a 42-yard reception down the, down the left hash. He, he had a nice little crossing route, and he found the gap in between the defense, just turn up field and got them into a good position to go up three, nothing early. But after that, I, I it went all downhill. So yeah. what was the biggest struggle for the pirates tonight? Cause obviously 
Dylan Cook, the backup quarterback, former Gamble Rogers Stingray, great, got the start again for the injured Locke Hewlett. Locke is a Wake Forest commit. But what was the biggest struggle for the Pirates? I mean, they lost 49-9, and I guess a lot of things went wrong. What was the biggest struggle for the Pirates? They just could not handle the long ball tonight. St. Augustine had a 30-yard touchdown pass to Miles Simmons, a 48-yard touchdown pass to Samarian James. Samarian Wingo? Wingo, sorry. Um, a 23-yard pass to Samarion Wingo at the buzzer of the first quarter, and a 61-yard pass to Carl Jenkins to go up 35-3. to Now, this is the best wide receiver group St. Augustine has probably ever had. Former Gamble, Gamble Rogers, Stingray, great Trenton Jones, Miles Simmons. Carl Jenkins is the most underrated receiver in the state of Florida, you know, where did the Pirates struggle on offense tonight? I know Daquan Evans was coming off his best high school game. And, I, and it's uh, yeah, Shamarian Gaines and Jordan Mills probably struggled in the secondary, but you and I have watched that St. Augustine team enough. We've watched a lot of good secondary struggle with that team. What was it about the offense tonight that was tough for Matanzas? The running game, I feel, cannot get going as well as they usually do. Like Cole Hash, he, he had a nice little touchdown run to the – like a, it was a 15-yard touchdown run to put them to get them on the board, 49 to nine. But other than that, I they did not have any big rushes. I believe, if my memory serves me correct, their longest rush was I believe 10 or 11 yards. Besides the Cole Hash 15-yard touchdown run. And uh, Mike the third, how about Daquan Evans in that passing game? Was the offensive line able to protect him? Was he able to get out and? make plays with his legs like we saw last week. What happened with, with uh, the Pirates and being able to move the ball through the air? The offensive line, they looked good. They they only let up one sack, I believe. And Daquan Evans was able to shift around, and he had a few nice scrambles for like seven, eight yards. And he was able to make plays, just could not – the ball into the end zone unfortunately mm. so they move so you're saying the offense they move the ball from time to time but the drives were just stalling they it was interesting because on the first kickoff they had a pooch kick to the to the second line of defense in the kickoff regimen and they they uh they got about a 10 15 yard return which led to that nice Jordan Mills reception, and they they couldn't get in the end zone. They just the passing game and the running game stopped once they got in the red zone. So yeah. if you so it was a forty nine nine final for Matanzas. Next week they have Deltona on Monday. That's a short turnaround for them, Rich. You know, and That's Deltona's rough, not man. very good, but but this turns into a, a big game for the Pirates now, coming off that loss and. You know, you have uh, two of the last three games. You, you you got a loss, so you definitely want to go out there and win the game. And uh, and regardless of of what uh, your record is, you know that these guys are going to come out to play. They know you just played on Friday. I don't know what their schedule. What did they play on Friday as well? Yes, they lost fifty eight to thirty to Seabreeze. Uh, put up thirty. That's my boy there. There you go. Thank you very much. So, uh, you know. It's going to be a tough game. I think that's they're 0-4, too, Deltona. That's, you don't want the first win to come against you, especially the Pirates. You know, they got big plans this year. Uh, they're hoping to accomplish some things, go to the playoffs. It's just tough 
to play a game coming off a loss on the road uh, a couple days later. That's that's going to be a tough task, uh, regardless of who they're playing for the Pirates. But with the leadership that they have, with Coach Forrest, with the talent that they have at the skill positions, and I still believe in that defense, even after, you know, you played a special team there uh, with the Yellow Jackets. Everybody knows that. So you got to move on from that and, and win some football games and make some plays and uh, not be discouraged by what happened on that field. You know you played a great team. Now it's time to bounce back. Beat a team that you should beat. You know it's a, it's in a couple of days, but uh, regardless of the tough situation, that's on the schedule. You got to make it happen, right? Yep, and everything's still in front of Matanzas tonight. Tonight doesn't really change anything, in my opinion, about Matanzas. I told everybody back in April this game was probably a loss for Matanzas. I know that sounds conceited, and there I go being a homer. But it's all in front of them. They're still, in my opinion, going to win seven or eight games. I think the next big test for them is Clay. On October 20th, you can hear that game here. But they'll get through Deltona. They'll have a couple weeks to recover because they'll play on the second, and then they don't have to play until the 13th against Gainesville. A Gainesville team, by the way, that's only won one game in the last three seasons, and that one game was against a team that's only beat Gainesville in the last three years. So that should be an easy win in two weeks, as easy a winner they're going to get. And then, really, I think the biggest game of the season for them is going to be that clay game because I think if they win that clay game, they're a playoff team. If they don't, it's going to be tough to get in. All right. Thank you, Mike Licio and Mike Licio the third. If you missed the game last night, watch it on the Flagler Radio YouTube channel. It's our bye week. So we'll be back in two weeks with some football. That's another episode of the Rich and Mike Sports Show. Bounce back week for the football teams next week. Have a great weekend, Flagler County. <laughs>